there and welcome to Delicious Journeys. I'm Maria Reed, and this is the show where we'll be talking to various guests working in the food and drinks industry. Are you an entrepreneur in the food and drinks industry or do you find the world of food and drink brands fascinating? We'll be delving into how and why building a better brand is so important. On today's show, I'm joined by MPD specialist, founder, food lover and all round lovely person, Lucy Wager. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Maria. You are our first guest, so it's really exciting you're here. So thank you so much for for joining us today. And it's a known fact that last year was a tough year for everyone and it's not over just quite yet. So how are you coping during these times? Yeah, well, to be honest, it um, professionally, last year was a was a good year for me. Um, it obviously had its challenges and lots of uncertainties and definitely more childcare than I had anticipated. But it's it's been really interesting and and I've really enjoyed um, the work that I've done over the the last twelve months and certainly I think it's been a bit of a shock going into twenty twenty one and sort of straight into lockdown in some ways but I think we we were slightly prepared for it I think um, yeah. but yeah this week has been interesting because we've sort of been thrown into <laughs> A whole new world of homeschooling in our household because my daughter's in reception. So the last lockdown, she was just nursery. So we didn't have any actual work to do. So I've sort of very quickly had to pick up um, the whole homeschooling situation and juggling work. And but it's, you know, that's just life at the moment. And I, I just feel really lucky to be in an industry like the food industry, because we we are all sort of pulling together, carrying on changing where we need to change and just making the best of it really. I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who can relate to the challenges of working from home and homeschooling but it's really great to hear all your positives and I totally agree our industry is very resilient and we will get through this. So before we get into the nitty-gritty to warm up those taste buds we're going to do a quick fire round of finish the food and drink lyric from this song. Are you ready? Song number one, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That is amore, and that is correct. <laughs> number two, if you like pina colada. Yes, I'm sure everyone would like a bit of that at the moment. <laughs> number three, red, red. Why? <laughs> number four, bye bye, miss. American pie. Yes. And finally, how do you like your eggs in the morning? I like mine with a hug. (laughs) (laughs) So just a bit of context for the listeners, Lucy. You've come from a family of food lovers and you studied food and consumer management at Birmingham Uni. What has been your journey in the food and drinks industry so far? Mikey, well, I'd just like to say this is already my favourite podcast because I've never had to sing on a podcast before. <laughs> That's why I didn't tell you what you were signing up to before. No, exactly. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, so back to seriousness. So, yes, I in 2004, I graduated from a food and consumer management degree at, um, as it was then, Birmingham College of Food. Um, and I started on the back of all graduate scheme um, which is, it was actually geese at the time, but became Back of All while I was there. And so I worked as a concept technologist um, at Back of All for 18 months. And I worked in the dips and dressings business and also did some dress salads as well. 
Um, while I was there, it was a great exposure to the food industry, actually, as an initial job, because we, from those factories, we covered all of the big retailers. So I actually got to work on each of the big retailer accounts and Marks and Spencers and just got a little bit of a flavour for really what the food industry was. And that's where I kind of got hooked on it and sort of really found my passion for the food industry. Um, I was really lucky to work on a project with Sainsbury's and that eventually led me to being asked if I would like to join Sainsbury's as a product developer which is like a dream come true really and I moved to London um, so that was in 2006 when I sort of look back at my career across the food industry I think that's the that's the position in my product development days that I sort of look back to because I was young I lived in central London and I had we sort of it was a young um, environment there and it was it was just really really great and we did some brilliant product launches after Sainsbury's I worked for Marks and Spencer's for two two and a half years again working in ready meals um, and again loved that position traveled to Thailand Vietnam um, then I went on a work trip to India, which was incredible. Um, but that sort of leads into my next part of my journey because I unfortunately picked up um, really bad food poisoning and um, mm. was very ill for a year, basically. And I just, I developed an intolerance to dairy and eggs and various other things and really, really struggled with my diet. I, I sort of, at that point, I, I had to turn my life upside down. Um, for personal reasons as well, I, I decided to leave London mm. and I moved to Cheshire. And I was able at that point to better control my diet and actually get myself well again. And mm. at that point, I started to really feel that there was a change coming in in the food industry and and the consumer wide in terms of products that were weren't just free from what but were fabulous products that happened to be free from and there were some big gaps in the market and so from a personal perspective I missed really indulgent desserts and I'm a massive chocolate lover and mm. so I basically came up with the concept which became my business which was podology um and i created these um very chocolatey but free from desserts sort of taking the experiences i'd had as a product developer and using coconut milk as my base ingredient which wasn't as overly used as it is now so that's what i did so in 2012 we sort of took the plunge and just went full-time let's see what I can do with podology. So we launched the idea at the Allergy and Free From show in 2012. And that was that was the intro to podology. And we did the show to basically see what the consumer reaction was. And obviously this is back in 2012. It was the, um, it was the first Allergy and Free From show where there was a real interest from vegans. And mm. it was at that show that I decided that I wanted to make the product vegan because we were um, asked by so many vegans when can we get this this is amazing because there was just literally nothing else like it on the market yeah. at the time so we came away with that feeling like wow this is we're like right <laughs> on the money this is amazing and so it went from there and at that at that show that's where we met um, I met the buyer at the time um, that was at Cardo, and they became our first sort of biggish listing mm-hmm. um, and we worked with them for the whole um, journey and they were you know a really big part of the pedology story mm. um and that and so fast forward to 2019 and 
obviously the market had transformed in those seven years absolutely incredible it just feels amazing to have been part of that incredible starting of the plant-based era basically and we um we were completely self-funded so i i I thought about getting funding um external uh, funding and investment and i did speak to some people but always decided against it and looking back now if i had the time again and when i'm talking to other people um Mm. I think investment is so important in the food and drink space because you have to have the resources to be able to do what you want to do. And Mm. we had limited resources and it made it really, really difficult. And then at the, in 2019, I did take the very difficult decision to liquidate the business because we'd basically got to a point where we couldn't compete any longer and we lost um, 80% of our listing at Sainsbury's and the rest of the final 20% was going to go yeah. and we it was the first time in the company's history that I looked at the numbers and thought this isn't a cash flow issue this is for the first time ever a volume issue and we need more business if we're going to carry on and we're burning we're going to start burning money yeah. and this is something that people t- talk about a lot is the burn what's the burn rate of your business and when you're self-funding a business you you have to, you know, put a plug in it because yeah. um, you, you can't carry on doing that. It was really difficult because obviously it's something that I'd put my heart and soul in for seven years. I had also started a family in that seven years and I had um, a very new baby at that point as well and mm-hmm. a three-year-old as well. Yeah. Um, so I had sort of lots of different priorities going on all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a a huge um decision and very quickly um we went from you know well I went from running running business to having a business that was in liquidation which was a I I didn't even know what that even meant and what how you even did that at the time yeah so I went through a very quick um learning curve um on that side of things and also had to be well found myself in a position where I had been running a business for seven years and podology had been this huge part of my life um and my family's life Mm. and literally overnight it was it wasn't there anymore yeah I can't imagine how long that took to sink in I I bet that was quite a long process I do you know I I, I can't really remember I can't really I don't know actually yeah I think because obviously there are things that happen and obviously I was having I was talking to liquidators but the, mm. the, the dynamics completely changed and obviously I had to have some really difficult conversations with with people and yeah I did a video on LinkedIn because I I had this situation where once I'd obviously communicated to shareholders and directors of which there's only two others other than me and one of them was my dad mm. um then I, I felt a responsibility that I needed to speak to some of the suppliers that I'd known and worked with for the last seven years because I wanted them to hear it from me yeah, and not through the grapevine. So I did a video and to sort of announce and just, and I did it just off the cuff. I took the kids to nursery and I sat down on my sofa and I just recorded this video basically explaining what had happened. Yeah. And it was amazing the response I got was incredible and 
like I didn't realize it at the time people were like oh you, you know that was such a brave thing to do and I was like oh god was it like, it hadn't occurred to me that actually it, it sort of I sort of laid all my cards out on the table <laughs> obviously you know let's not beat around the bush the business failed and so of course I felt like a failure and you know to a certain extent I, I you know sometimes I still do but I can't feel like that to be honest because the last 12 months have been so good and what that business and what that journey has given me is incredible I'm just really pleased that I can now look back on those seven years and, yeah. and smile about absolutely the majority of it and I yeah you know have some really nice memories Jessica Harris called me and said look you know I know this is awful timing um because I you know I know what's happened with pedology but um would you be up for having a conversation about doing some consultancy work with me? And I was like, yes, this is brilliant timing. What do you mean? Like, I you know I, I'm, I'm free. I haven't got anything to do. Let's have a chat about it. And so Jess and I started working together and she needed someone to help her um, finalize the products and get the products scaled up into a factory ready for, for mm -hmm. launch. And that's the Little Bandits brand. Um, yeah. And that was basically a coconut based uh, yogurt product so you know that's something that I knew a lot about yeah, yeah um so I helped her with that and have since become a co-founder with her um as well mm -hmm. and so that was a really nice um you know personal relationship that I've developed with Jess as well out of out of that and sort of yeah. helped her on the journey um and from that other various other things came about I love working with the people I'm working with and being able to share the experiences that I've, I've had, you know, mm. the good bits and also the really difficult bits yeah. and hard things I've had to learn, which hopefully help other people. So you were very busy because you've just mentioned Little Bandits, which is your dairy-free yogurt company, which you're a co-founder with Jess with, but you've also got two other companies that you're working with. So you've got Out to Launch and you've got PB and Co. So could you tell us a little bit about those? So, um, so Out to Launch is my consultancy business, and PB and Co. is another plant-based consultancy who I work with, yeah. um, who specialise in plant-based to basically help plant-based businesses get off the ground. So in this podcast, we are talking about what makes a better brand and why it's so important to build a better brand. So just focusing around the product development, the initial idea. So like many entrepreneurs, you had a need and a want for your own product uh, with Pedology. And that started with an indulgent dairy free dessert, which I believe your first one you made in your kitchen was a coconut and chocolate dessert. One cold stormy night. I have no idea if it was a cold and stormy night in my head. It's that. <laughs> But then as a product developer, you would have known that there was a gap in the market for the product like this. But what was the consumer reaction at that time? Because you were at the very start of the of um, the free from and the vegan market. Did the consumers understand the concept? They they did. Well, a, a segment of the market obviously mm. did um, because mm. there was a real need for it at that mm. point because there wasn't anything like it. Um, there were Booja Booja was around in the ice cream um, aisle which mm. is is a brilliant product um but other than that there really wasn't very much available that was really indulgent and delicious so the the reaction that we had at the shows that we did at that time was incredible and, and it's really interesting actually now thinking about the market as it is now and thinking actually it wasn't that long ago that people were literally I've got videos of kids that had never eaten 
chocolate dessert that was that indulgent and delicious and that like you it's surprising yeah, isn't it that yeah. is a surprising thing yeah. but it's that was the reality and that was only in 2012 2013 and um so that reaction was incredible and it was really that sort of personal interaction with our customer mm. that we love and that really we loved doing the shows because it was just so satisfying getting that kind of reaction out of people. I think then the challenge that we had right at the beginning was mm. the mass market really wasn't ready for it. The mm. retailers didn't have um, specific um space for products like that like they do now mm. so we had a situation where when we launched with Sainsbury's for the first time which I think was 2013 maybe 14 can't remember now um <laughs> we were positioned initially next to Goo mm. and that didn't work because the customer who was looking for our product wasn't even going down the aisle because they knew there wasn't anything down there for them mm. So then we repositioned next to Alpro's um, yogurts, which also didn't work because they were so cheap compared to our products, which were expensive because it was coconut milk and we were only producing. So there was a real sort of tricky situation there. And then obviously the market moved on and and it got bigger and people were able to find their products more easily because there were more products available and you had the space. But then the challenge for a smaller brand is that bigger brands then come in. Um, and so in our situation, there were a goo came into the market and it, it yeah. that makes it very difficult um, when mm. you're a smaller brand. It's not to say it's impossible because it's definitely not because brands do do it. But mm. I think that's where investment can really help. Not long ago on LinkedIn, you posted this. You said, back in the day when I created and launched Podology in the UK, I was an early entrant to the free from market. In recent years, market demand is high in growth and shows no signs of stopping. So Lucy, with your experience, what would you say to a new brand starting out in the dairy-free market or the vegan market and building a brand awareness? And what advice would you give to them? And especially in the current climate, how would you build awareness in this type of market? Really, really good question. It's really difficult because I think a, a, a lot of it is you've got to be talking to the consumer all the time. You've got to be visible and yeah. you've got to make sure that people know that your brand exists. Because one of the biggest challenges for, for Podology through its entire existence was not enough people knew the brand existed, yeah. which is it's a sin, isn't it? You know, and that that is my biggest sort of like regret I suppose um mm. and I do I think having investment gives you a better opportunity to be able to make sure that as many people as possible know about your brand and there are ways of of, of doing it without spending loads and loads of money but I from my my own experience I do think having a budget for marketing to make sure that your brand awareness is built is really critical um especially and i think one of the things that has changed now one of the things that does work is when people especially if you've got a good product when people try your product mm. they and they buy it and then they become re- repeat customers and this worked for us when we did um in-store sampling which mm. is it is it's an expensive thing to do but it, it does work yeah um but obviously now the challenge is you can't do that in stores so 
it's yeah. about finding ways of people being able to access your product um without the benefit of being able to um, actually do in-store sampling following on from what lucy's just mentioned here are five marketing tips you can do right now to build your product's brand awareness during covid19 tip number one analyze check your insights regularly to get to know your audience inside out that way when posting on social media you know what works and what doesn't work Tip number two, reviews. Encourage feedback from customers. Someone may not be at the stage where they want to make a complaint, but if you get feedback, you may be able to use your customer service skills and put it right and save a customer. Retaining customers is easier and much more cost-effective than acquiring new ones. Tip number three, make your website the best it can be. Look at your analytics. Do most people use their mobile when visiting your site? Can they easily get in touch with you? Look into apps your website provider offers. There are a lot out there for free. Tip number four, LinkedIn. The power of LinkedIn is so great. You can really show off your personality and your brand without being unprofessional. Give some time in your day to engage and you will see a difference. Tip number five, add value. If you understand your audience, you can identify an issue, a want or a need and provide them with a solution. A great way to do this is to publish blogs, which also helps with your SEO. So Lucy, now I've heard you mention before that you were too retail focused for far too long during your time at Podology. In your experience and in your current role now, how important is food service when launching a new product? That is a really interesting question, considering the the time that we're in at the moment as well. Yeah, um, I think it is very important. And actually, it's been really interesting working with the brands that I now work with, who obviously have completely different backgrounds and mm-hmm. a different way of approaching things. Because the way that I did it was I just basically went in with the way that I know. And that's the other thing about not necessarily not having just have it, not having investment, but also doing it on your own. I was only led by my own experiences for quite a long time and that is also um, a reflection on the kind of person that I am because and the learning that I've had about myself is I am a bit of a control freak so I find it very difficult to delegate and yeah. so that is an issue when you're an entrepreneur <laughs> but yeah so it's been very interesting because some people um, and some brands that I've, I've seen have yeah. actually launched into food service and then use that as a springboard to go into retail which is probably a much better way of doing it because you're you've built the volume but I had no experience of food service so I, I didn't know that at the time and even now obviously there are so many channels within food service it's an, a really incredible side of the industry and there's not just a here's a book here's all the information on it it's you're constantly learning all the complexities yes, of it exactly. so to, to answer your question yes if I had my time again I would definitely mm. concentrate on food service much sooner than I did and and seek yeah. out support much earlier mm. well what was your favorite aspect of owning your own brand in those seven years what was your if you had to just narrow down one of your favorite parts of it well I think looking back now with those rose tinted glasses on mm. those seven years the the best thing that I'll take with me for the rest of my life is the experience that I got of working in a business with my mum and my dad um, because I'd never even though I'd grown up in a family business and I did work in their business it was completely different when you're on 
ground rolling your sleeves up actually making the desserts together me and my dad would lid thousands of pots that we'd made the day before at six o'clock in the morning we'd get into the fridge and lid them all they are the personal memories that you know I have forever which are amazing you know I'm just so grateful for that but also from a that's that's like the personal thing that I sort of carry with me but yeah from a professional perspective I'm so grateful for the business side of what having in my own business taught me and to be honest I think having a business in food where margins are so so tight and it's really really tough really makes you learn that side of things because you have to be so in tune with it and the finance side and the business side really wasn't my strong point coming from a you know very purely product development perspective having Mm. having that small amount of commercial experience in recruitment Mm. it really wasn't my forte and it's definitely still not but I think that is definitely one of the highlights bizarrely that that came out of it on the flip side of that one of the real downsides for me looking back again is totally losing touch with the real strengths that I have as a Mm person professionally and that's one of the things that I would definitely say to people that are starting out remember why you started and what your strengths are and hold on to them for as long as you possibly can for dear mm-hmm. life and get people around you that can support you with the things that you're you know you're lacking in from a strength perspective because I didn't nurture my product development strengths enough Oh, that is such good advice. And I hope everyone who's listening to this will take away something from that because that is priceless. That is Um, (laughs) that time in the podcast where we're going to talk about trends. So Lucy, you're no stranger to trending products. So I'm going to give you a list of three current trends that are booming at the moment. I want you to rank them in order from one to three as to what is the hottest for you. So we've got vegan fish, no low alcohol and sustainable packaging. I think no low alcohol, then vegan fish. What was the third? I can't even remember. What the sustainable packaging. Oh, and sustainable <laughs> packaging. Sorry. I was talking to someone about sustainable packaging and he had been talking to a professor of sustainable packaging on, you know, on that subject. He was saying that actually we need to be using more plastic, but using it better. So like reusing it better. Right. So there, I think there's so much more that we need to actually understand about the sustainability of packaging. I agree. I agree. Because last year, I feel a lot of more consumers were aware of it. Way more business have started to adhere yeah. to sustainable packaging, but more consumers were aware. But I totally agree with you that there needs to be more talk about it. And it's also very tricky because of what's happened with COVID and yeah. hygiene. There are some things that we that were happening that were really good for sustainability, but probably not great from a, you know, COVID hygiene perspective. Yeah. For more info on trends in 2021, check out our blog page on visionaryfoodsolutions.co.uk or have a gander and read through some of our other blogs too. So to round off this show, we've got a quick fire Q&A for Agony Auntie Lucy, a specialist oh, in God. many food and drink related realms who will be answering some dilemma questions from people within the startup industry. Question number one. I feel like I'm trying to do too much on my own. Should I ask for help? What if they add to the problem? It's interesting because you you touched upon this a bit earlier as well. Yes. Um, what I'd be saying to myself, like yeah. if that was me 
four years ago asking that, I'd be saying, Lucy, it's probably going to be you that's going to add to the problem. <laughs> because I'm not very, I'm really, I'm not very good at training people. I'm not very patient. And I, I, I expect if somebody doesn't understand something like, like that, I, I, I find it quite frustrating. Yeah. So I think I would be saying you, you need, it's important to get help. Um, mm. Find someone that you can work with that you mm. get on with from a personal perspective because that is really important and really think about what you want them to do what is required and, mm. and plan it really carefully um and and just be really open and, and and clear with them and yourself about what you what you need them to do for, for you and the business and question number two sourcing a manufacturer is proving difficult where do i start it is difficult and i think the, the best way to start is mm to use your network or find someone that has got a good network mm-hmm. and tap into that and find somebody who has experience that can help you because even when you found a manufacturer that or you think you found a manufacturer that is just the beginning and you need yeah. to find more than one generally and you then need to know what lookouts are when you start working with that manufacturer and to to, to, to really find out if they can tick the boxes that you need them to tick and, and actually make the products that you need them to make yeah how quickly can we get a product to market and especially what is the reality to this in the current climate well it really depends what the what the product is to be honest generally people say you know six months now the caveat there is this is when you've already got a product if you have a a concept Mm. for a, a brand new product which has never been launched and it needs like um you need a food technologist to help you develop even the concept then you're looking obviously at much longer mm. so it can be years if you've got a product to launch once you find a manufacturer and you need to start doing trials you need to allow six months as a minimum i'm wanting to launch my own product what makes a better brand to you this is a brilliant question i think the first thing that comes to my mind because i'm a product developer is that the product has got to be great so people come back to you you know once they've tried it they come back to you because they love love the product but also the the look the feel the personality of the brand has also got to sort of shine through because that is the thing that how the brand looks is the first thing that the customer sort of associates with but then the the way that the brand communicates itself gives its personality which also gives it the longevity and the desire for the consumer to come back to that brand and have an emotional attachment to that brand and as a consumer um i am a marketing man's dream because i love brands and i love brands talking to me and you know the relationship that you kind of develop with different brands that you love um so i think that's what that's what makes a brand great to me Lovely. And just a question from me, Lucy, I've heard you say on another podcast, the more people and the more advice you have, the better. So to wrap up this episode, what piece of advice would you give to anyone listening out there for 2021? Um, My advice is to to keep going, follow your journey through. And while you're on that journey, try not to worry and get stuck in your own sort of mindset of negativity because that is so easy to do. And I was doing that for so long. Whatever the end of a particular chapter of your life is, however that ends, you do get through it. And I feel like I've come through 
a terrible time at the end of pedology. It was, a, you know, it was a very dark time for me and you do get through it. So, you know, follow your journey through even in the darkest of times and you will come through the other end. That is the most solid advice you could possibly have. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like that's done me good. That's done everyone listening good. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> Follow Lucy's exciting journey with Little Bandits out to launch and PB and Co and whatever other aspirations and new dreams that we're going to see Lucy challenge and conquer. If anyone wants to find out more about these companies or wants to get in touch with you, Lucy, what's the best way to do so? Well, you can follow me on LinkedIn and drop me a message there, or you can send me an email. I'm at lucy at outtolaunch.co.uk. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy. You've been an inspiration, a motivation, and you're just an all-round hero queen. So I say thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. so much. I've loved it. Well, that concludes this month's episode. Thank you for listening to Delicious Journeys and thank you to the brilliant Lucy Wager for joining me today and for sharing her valuable insights on building a better brand. If you'll hear from the LinkedIn Delicious Journeys Food and Drink Network, Dan Head, who is our head of food service, will be hosting a webinar on the 21st of January at 11am to 12pm on entry, growth and sustainability within the world of food service. Now that's one not to miss. Feel free to email me at maria at visionarygroupltd.com if you have any questions on today's episode or even just to say hi. Catch you next month and catch yourself succeeding on your delicious journey. Take care. Bye. Bye.